What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Strangest Fruit Podcast, where for some reason they just switched me and Dante's seats. He was sitting behind the black curtain, and I was sitting behind the white door. Well, now all I got to say is, is that black enough for you? <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're, we're having a light moment right now, but we have a serious topic today. We're talking about a man who's been incarcerated now for seven years unjustly for a crime he did not commit. We're going to speak to his mother today, um, an amazing woman, um, you, the matriarch of a family, leading the, uh, the movement to get her child home. Um, we spoke a little bit earlier. She acknowledged the release date here um, that I wear around my neck. I, w- I just celebrated that anniversary. And um, it's something I want to be a part of um, her son one day having around his neck. So that's why we're here. Um, remember as well, before we get into this conversation, to hit the subscribe button, leave comments. Um, we love that interaction, share, and uh, you can find us on all platforms. So without further ado, we welcome Miss Crystal. Yes, thank you, thank you. So tell us about your son when, when, when you have that image of Chris. Um, I, I've talked to my mom about that a lot. Like what did she hang on to? What kept her going? But I don't know if it's a specific image, a series of them, but like when, when you think about your baby boy um, in your mind or in the quiet moments or whatever, what comes to mind? Um, a father, a son, um, because his overall goal was to have a football league and to be a coach and he loved football. Um, he played from the age of five until 20, I believe it was 20-something, because there was another league with Snoop Dogg that he was able to to get on and go to Miami. But what comes to mind is uh, a family person, a father, a son, hard worker, uh, the life of the party atmosphere, wherever he's at, whether it's family or friends, he was that guy. And you could tell, too, because... and. I know Dante can probably speak to this as well. Like there's a lot of tales that go on in prison. People tell a lot of stories. A lot of people may claim innocence or something, but there's those dudes that, you know, we know a few. Um, and that's why we're involved with this because we just know, like, you know, we damn near got 50 years of incarceration between us. So, you know, this is just one of the ones that you just feel like you just know there's an energy. It's, um, might sound strange to some people, but to me, it's like spiritual. Like, um, is there something special there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah I stumbled across something. I'm, I met her earlier, but it's, it's different when it's from your city. Absolutely. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm from Bullets and Rosecrans over there in oh, that wow. area. Okay. You know, so yeah, locked up right there on Butler in front of the old library. And um, it's just, it's, it's we're plagued. Like it seemed, it seemed like we plagued, and and it seemed like my homegirl lost her kid in another way, and her her baby was shot at her house in Compton, and I could never understand her mindset of how she moves on every day. I can never understand it. So I was stumbling around the office the other day, and Ray gave me a, a drawing. He gave me a, a a painting, and it's crazy how stuff. I don't believe in coincidences either. And it kind of like is helping me go into this, and I still don't understand, but I have such a 
I don't know. You, you know, when you meet somebody, you just want to, I just want to apologize to you for some reason. You feel the need to want to apologize. I don't know what it is in or a person. Or you're making amends as well. Right. Like, you know, this This is, yeah, this is. This does a lot for everybody. And on this particular painting, there's a, a big eye. And in the pupil of the eye, it's an electric chair. Now, when I first got the picture from Ray, I'm like, man, there's something about this picture. You know, I'm always playing. Even when I'm upset, I'm, I'm playing. You know, it's just it's what it is. And I'm like, man, this... I'm like, man, there's something about that. I can't look at it. I, always, I told him, I was like, man, I cannot look at this picture. Even when I put it in the car, I turned it, I turned it around and made it face the seat. But just yesterday, I went in there and looked at the little note that was left in there about the person who created it. And inside the note, it says, this is a depiction of what a mother said she saw after her son was sentenced to execution. And it was a drawing, and I'm like, like, damn, like, she don't see her baby no more. Then it makes you also wonder, like, what type of peace does a person has to ascertain to be able to live with that and to go on? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it. And now I still take that picture. I'm about to get that picture out my house because it... It, it it feels like something up in there. It's something in there. You just like, me as a man, I would never be able to understand that only a woman, you know, only a woman as yourself would be able to explain that and expound on that because I, I just, I don't, this, this, is, this is where we at and hopefully the world can see it as, as an educational thing or just even if your heart is cold, you will realize something and take it away. Cause everybody, everybody don't feel something until it hit home. Exactly. Oh boy, you hit so many points. Um, so after conviction and after sentencing, I went into um, what I now know as a depression. I've never struggled with depression or any of that, and I went into depression. And what did and that? If you don't mind me asking, what did that look like? Good question. Very good question. Um, because I didn't know what depression looked like. I didn't know what it felt like. But when I, so I bought all these drawings. I would go to the Five Below store and they had paintings um, where you can buy markers. And I bought, I literally, I had over 500. When I came out, I had over 500 and I would color. I had no conversation. I had no words. All I can do, I would go to work and I would come home. And I And I would color. And my husband would ask me questions. because I was angry. I was angry because everybody that was in my immediate circle knew that he was innocent. But when it comes to a hood and a code and what they live by and what they stand for, it's like um, they won't speak the truth. They won't tell the truth based on a code of a neighborhood. So I was angry. I was angry at my family. I was angry at the system. I was just angry. And so that's what I did. And so my kids, my two daughters, um, 
all they could do is pray for me. We come from a strong belief in God, our background in faith. I am actually an ordained minister. I've been ordained for the last three years. And so coming out of that and God bringing me through, it's like the foot, the um, footsteps in the sand. You don't know how you got out. You just know you came out. And so backing up, uh, that's what it looks like. And, and today I sit here and I stand and I speak out because it's not just about my son. It's so many kids that have lost their lives to this system and um, so many parents that have given up their hands. But one thing I told my son the first time I talked to him after conviction and I said, you know, if my last breath, I will stand and I will fight for you. And that's what I continue to do. Some days I don't know how God is going to work. I don't know how God is going to move. But um, he just keeps doing it. And so Chip and Ray, like, I don't even know how they got here. Like, it's so crazy. And you don't, you don't know the, the effect that you have on people like me. So I got to tell Brian, Brian, he would never know the effect. His his mom and his sisters, they would never know the effect that they would have on me. See, it's like you being selfish and wanting to see your son free is actually you being selfless in a, in a fashion, indirect fashion. You wouldn't even have noticed it because for the, the guy like me doing time who came from the system, who didn't have mom and dad there, I had to watch your son get that affection from a distance. So I was like... That's what I hold today. When I see stuff like this, I'm like, that's what a family's supposed to be like. That's what a mama supposed to look like right there. You know, it's, it's, it's a ripple effect. So it's just, no matter what you're doing, you're affecting somebody. It's an invisible line over there. His mom calls me son, and she don't even know how much it means to me. You know what I'm saying? I got to take a little piece. I'm taking pieces of this, and I got to instill it in people that I know, and I still got to instill it in myself. So it's, it's the pebble was thrown, but it's just... You don't even see the blessings that you've given other people. Thank you so much. Wow. So I hope I answered your question. Yeah, yeah, you definitely did. Um, okay, so his sentence, he went to trial. Mm -hmm. um, ultimately was found guilty. He went all the way, uh, jury trial. What was the sentence? 75. And what was the um, Compton, right? Compton Court? Compton Court. Can you describe the the state of Compton or the environment? Because I, I know. <laughs> I know, but a lot of the people in the, the world, they don't know. It's, it's very, it looks like chaos, but it's, 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 it's intricate stuff that's going on within these city limits. And, you know, it's... it's, it's it's loving but both dangerous at the same time. It's, it's, it's a mix. So what was the, the world in that eye right there? Where was he at in his life? Where were you at in your life? And, you know, just describe that. Okay, so I grew up in Compton. Um, and I got introduced to drugs. And so I went through the whole drug scene. Um, and then I went through a phase of gangbanging, and all these things were a survival 
in the neighborhood that I came through. Before I was 15 or 16, I had seen so many deaths and so many shootings. Our house personally had been shot up countless. It was our normal for our house to be shot up. My little brother was shot uh, with an AK at the age of six in his side in our front yard. Um, the gang from one hood to another hood ramshacked our house. So it was a lot of that growing up. That's like war zone uh, activity right there. Uh, we couldn't be caught outside literally after the street lights because it had got so dangerous. And this is what you were growing up in? This is what I grew up in, yeah. And I had, um, I didn't have Christopher at the time. I had my oldest daughter. I was a teenage mom. Um, by the time I was 16, 17, I already had three kids. Yeah. What, what, what did you view at this time in your life? What, what was your idea, like, you know, we all have that place of who we see and who we idolize at that age. And to be honest, if I look back at those times, all I think I think of is like Queen Latifah and Oprah. So what was your idea of a pure black woman at that time? What was something that you could grasp at and say, if I can be that woman, you know, what, what was your idea of a pristine black woman? I didn't have one. My grandma passed when I was nine, and that's what I held on to because I grew up in Linwood and it was all Caucasian and, and I went to school and I was the only black girl and like all of that and then she passed and I landed in Compton. And then it kind of went from there. My mom was on drugs, my dad was on drugs and so I, I landed places, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. And so I didn't ever have a, my own room and all that stuff. I'm the oldest of six children. And so by my mom being on drugs, I raised little people as a little person. And then you were never even given the ability to be a kid. Exactly. And then I end up on drugs. So the dynamic was real. The struggle was real. It was hard, you know. And... Um, by the time I vowed to myself that my kids would not go through that. And so I moved them out. They was about six, seven, three, four, something like that. And, and we, we found a way out. And that was by way of a drug treatment center. You had Chris by this point? By this point, yes. Robin Roberts said a while back, she said that... Um, she said when they were growing up in their household, although although the the women, the, the girls were treated, you know, like, all right, you do it this way, you do it that way. Their mother was very nurturing. But when they came to her brother, she would always tell him, y'all make sure y'all love him as much as y'all can. Because when these streets get a hold of him, there's a chance he might not come back. Come back. Yeah. Just love him. Don't no matter. I know he bump his head sometime, but make sure you give him as much as you can. She said, "That's that's what that's the 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 mind state that they had to take on. Just give him as much as you can because it's it's only a certain amount of time." And Compton at, at that, I know I'm I'm hearing the times because even in my childhood, it was the, the curfews were there. Absolutely, you know, it was you, and then it was it was the curfews, and then the fact that even the cops. Had a way of thinking. The first time I heard a man tell me he was going to kill me, 
Like, yeah, I will shoot you. It was at Dominguez High School, and the cop said, we see y'all fighting, and you kick somebody, we're going to shoot you, and we, we don't shoot to injure. We shoot to kill. So I was like, you know. So, so coming out of that, I was 23 years old, mind you, when I got sober. I've been sober for 28 years. No drugs, no, yeah, no drugs, no alcohol, no anything for 28 years. So I was 23 years old when when I moved out of Compton, and and the the event of tragic things that had happened and take took place. By the age I was 20, by the time I was 23, it was horrific. And so, how do you deal with trauma? What does trauma look like? You don't learn those things in the hood. That's not a part of the hood. You don't speak trauma. It's like you dust yourself off and you keep going. And so, coming out at 23 years old and making a better life for my children um, is what I did. And I put him into football and from the word go he loved it he loved it like he thrived he was he was supposed to go somewhere you know and um so here we are you know we get to this point uh, christopher was shot at the age of uh, i think it was his 16th birthday i was in palm springs at a convention and they called me. He had to stay with his dad in Compton because I was away, so he stayed with him. They called me. I got to to St. Francis Hospital. I don't know. It seemed like 10 minutes to me from Palm Springs. St. Francis is in the city of Linwood, and when I pulled up to the hospital, there was so many people. There was a stairwell of, of the parking well full of people. The emergency room was full of people everywhere. And um, my pastor at that time, we did this prayer circle. The prayer circle went out the hospital around, and we were praying and praying. He was in surgery for six hours, and I didn't know anything was what was the verdict? The doctor came out and he said, um, he said, I don't know if God loves you or God loves me, but your son is not supposed to be here. He was shot in the main artery in his leg. So he had lost so much. He flatlined three times before um, they got him to the hospital. And so when I saw Christopher, when they finally let me see him, you know, I didn't even know my son had tattoos. That's how. So I'm like, so he got caught. Yeah, I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. what is that? And it was my name. Okay, okay, you can't be that bad. Then. Right. And so when he comes out, comes to, I'm like, what are you doing with my the tattoo? He's like, is your name, Mom? I was like, I know my name. You don't need to put my name on you. But anyway, it was just in those moments, like, you find certain things out. Um, but, yeah, he was shot. He had to learn how to walk again. He couldn't walk. He was on a walker. Then he went to a cane. Um, and so I thought, surely, you know, this is... This is it. It wasn't his fault. It wasn't nothing that he had done. He was just in front of his dad's house, and they did a drive-by shoot, which was normal for a neighborhood like from which we come. Um, but coming out of that, it almost felt like he was untouchable in that moment. That's what a parent I'm looking at, like, what's up with that? I don't know his lifestyle. Like, but he turned into a party guy. 
that happens though. We we was talking about that when we were talking to uh, Frankie, and it was like it was it's either we, we were sitting and we're listening, and it was like when these things happen, two things that can either go, either you get shot or something very traumatic happens to you, and you shut down, you hermit, you go into a just get out of the way, or you just like you know what I didn't be deaf. It's me against the world, and now it's, it's can you really blame him though? Like y'all came and tried to shoot me. Now what do I do? It's only one way to fix this. Thank you, because I never understood it. It's only one way to. So she it, had it, a young age. Like even you said, like there was no coping skills. So like, you're just running. I know I was like like on pure emotion at that point. You know, you're not thinking like, look at his life. Like he's living in a war zone. You said getting shot in front of his dad's house was normal from where I come from. Like, there will never be a time in my life when I, I can understand that. Like that's insane, right there. That's unacceptable. It is so unacceptable. Wow. So that that's that's where it's like it's like what do you what do you expect him to you know like you have zero zero chances like football ain't working you know football ain't finna protect me football football is is I'm away but when I get back home then what and I always say I'm a um I'm a victim of my choices I made bad choices like this isn't one of those cases like he's literally a victim of his circumstances I used to say victim of my circumstances because I wasn't taking any responsibility but this is literally a victim of his circumstances case. And then so he so he was scheduled his senior year, 12th grade year, he was scheduled to do Rancho High School. But because he practiced with them the whole summer, so Rancho's divided. So we lived on the bottom part of Rancho Cucamonga, and Rancho High School is on the top part. And because where we lived and our zip code was different, they asked him out, and that to me was his turning point of where, like, he was so hurt and so devastated. Um, Did he identify as a football player? Like, I'm a football player, and it got stripped. And it was he was devastated. It's like a, a prime example of uh, if if I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do and everything you asked me to do, right. and you take it away from me with no reason. It makes no sense. Yeah, I don't like, understand. Don't yeah, it's like I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, and this, and so this is after he got shot. They, they had coaches that that loved him, that helped him rehabilitate himself. That, that it was so many coaches on his team, on his side, that paid throughout. Like I said, I was a single parent. They pay for everything from the age five. Every city he played for, every city, literally. Chino, Rancho, Ontario, Montclair, Fontana. He played for every local city out here in the IE. He was well known as a football player. And well liked, like you said, the life of the party. Like, I, like I've never heard a single negative thing about him. Well loved, well liked by the parents, the kids, and the family alike. So when they took him off that that roster when they took that football identity that he had it started to take a turn he said it started he started partying so he was always a promoter um the hype man the promoter they had these it was a go hard crew and they would all come together had these t-shirts it was girls and boys and so they would go to all these parties in um, rancho cucamonga you know they had their first dance thing at the Victoria Gardens 
the first ones that ever rented, and these were young people. And they had this turnout that was crazy, um, so many people, and so they were on the road to their little fame. Um, But it was harmless and it was innocent and it wasn't like gang and drama. So I was, I was here for it, you know, and that's what they did every weekend. He went to school, his sisters went to school, then they would do this on the weekends. And What, what, what year was this? I don't even remember. Because I'm 32 and, you know, the oh, Go yeah, Hard crew. Oh, yeah. that, you remember the that, Go that, Hard that, crew. But look, I was now. locked up, but I would see the dudes. Like, that was when YG was, you know, yes. tooted and booted and all those Absolutely. dudes are coming out. That was when the jerking and all that. Oh, yeah, you had all the addicted to ink, all them crews out. So for yeah. him to be able to compete with yes. them dudes Absolutely. and still shut down stuff, yeah, he he's Mr. Popularity. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you said it. And so they were, They were. that's what they did. That's what they did. And uh, did, did it start going bad soon? Like, are, are, are we leading up to the arrest? And So, no. They were still... That's what he was doing. Um, so he started going to... He was with... Um, I forget this guy that was an up-and-coming rapper. Um, and so he knew... Um, uh, Jay... Um, what is his name? Oh, Brandy's brother. I can't call him. Oh, Ray J. Ray J. <laughs> Ray J. Shout out Carson. So, yeah. Ray J. And it was a couple of more, you know, that they they would be in the limelight. So they had all this stuff of going to these clubs and to these uh, Hollywood and everywhere. And I used to be like, son, like, whose life is this? Like, I don't even know you anymore. But it was like a rich and famous life. That's what they did. And it wasn't with drugs. It wasn't with hurting anybody and no crime or any of that like literally that's what they did legit hustler legit it's, it's not like the gang aspect is involved because no no no, no look no, at where ray j is from you know it's, 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 right. that's how that's how that automatically goes out the window you said ray j and i'm like oh they're not they getting money like they're exactly. they on some other stuff they relocated from, yeah, from like, Compton, like yeah so it sounds like everything was smooth Oh, yeah, he had his little girlfriend. He had all the children, but I didn't know we was still Mom, did, 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 did you like her? Yes. Oh, because you say, had his little girl. <laughs> At that time, the, the, no, this was just the girlfriend. Then he had, you know, Courtney, the kid's mom. And so I liked Courtney, the kid's mom. And then he had that girlfriend. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> but no, that's, that's actually Shauna. So what were the days like leading up to the arrest? Okay, so here we are, uh, 2014. This happened October 2014, this incident. Um, We had our family reunion in August of 2014. How Um, many people came? To our family reunion, we had to change it from family reunion. We changed it to friends and family day because we had so many friends and family. Where he has so many friends and family, um, so we changed it. Yeah, I'm talking who cooked. Yeah, that's it all. Us, me. So we changed it, and and so we had that. And then there was October. Christopher was working with a moving company at this time. He was getting ready to get off of probation. Um, he was living with me part-time and living with Shauna, his girlfriend at the time, part-time. You know, they were together. They were a couple. Um, so we started seeing, I started seeing 
I thought they were probation officers, but I didn't know what they were because they would be like outside of our house. And I'm like, and then the neighbor told me, oh, Miss Crystal, someone came over. So I'm not putting two and two together. I don't know what's happening. Oh, like the days before, like they were coming around? Yes. Okay. And so he says, Mom, after work, I'm going to go see my probation officer. And he, and I said, okay. And um, his boss at the time took him. The probation officer came to the house. So obviously they had contacted this probation officer and told him what was going to happen. Because he was supposed to get off literally the next week. So they had to move fast. It's my thoughts. They had to move fast. They had nothing on him, but they needed to move fast in order to make this stick. Well, if they were letting him off, that just goes to show that there was nothing. He had been doing everything he was supposed to do. Okay. Right. Um, so then he calls me. I'm coming home from work. I was working downtown Los Angeles. I stopped in at Pyology Pizza. I'll never forget. And uh, he says, Mom, I'm in jail at the 76 precincts in L.A., and they're charging me with murder. And, yeah. Hold on. From Pomona to the seventy six precinct. Yeah, we talking about now if 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 we talking about geographically, I'm seventy six. That's seventy seven, seventy six. That's in the middle of, and that's one of the most corrupt stations that you can go to. I'm talking about they had stuff in there where they had listening devices in there, and they were putting undercover officers in the holding tank with dudes to get them to talk. Like that's that's They've strange. Been under investigation for the last seven to eight years. Yeah, seventy seven um, division. Absolutely, for wrongful um, incarceration and wrongful. There was a death, and it was it was a lot. After the fact, I always go back and research it. And then his probation is his probation was In where? Pomona. Yeah, that's Pomona, yeah. yeah. What you doing with? I remember too when when they arrested me, like they were attempting to like break me and and, and getting me saying all kind of crazy stuff. They took me to this wall that was separating. It was like the front desk. My grandparents were there, and they went and told them, um, you know, we've just arrested uh, Brian for murder right now. Like I heard the whole conversation. In that moment, I've talked to them about it. Like they can't even describe the moment. Um, that was the moment that my mom had actually relapsed. And she had been clean at that point for eight years. And she relapsed for many years, like like many difficult years, the day I was arrested. Um, for by the grace of God, she's eight years clean today. Amazing. Yeah. But what did that moment do to you? It destroyed my family. Yes. It, it was... I. I lost it. I don't even remember how I got home. I remember being, I was in the pizza place. I remember being in the parking lot, screaming and hollering, like, no, because it hit me different. It hit me like, this is, I know what it's like being raised in Compton. When the police get their hands on you, that it's a, it's and then to have the charges like that, it was just, it was just bad. But I remember, um, because Christopher, so his record, Christopher's record, he literally had two things on his record. I seen it with my own two eyes. 
it was a smashing grab. Again, he wasn't there, but they tried to put him there. So they took him to prison or to jail, and they told um, me they came to my house falsely, raided my house, no search warrant, no nothing. I've always had a lot of jury. They took all of my jury, saying that they was putting it in investigation or whatever. Um, I never got my stuff back. So the fake search warrant that he gave me after they tore down my front door, like had us all outside on the curve and everything. And this, this guy, police officers looked me in my face and he said, your son and every other guy that is from Compton, he called out two areas. I'm going to make sure I take them all down. Now, this is what he told me face to face, and I kept pleading the blood of Jesus in his face, and and he kept talking, and I kept praying right in my face, and he took my son, he took a hammer, some random stuff. Anyway, long to the short, they they took him. He was out of Norwalk because this crime happened in in um, Huntington Park, and they released my son from the Norwalk, which is unheard of. Yeah, they released Norwalk. him from the court building with the blue paper suit on. I thought I'd seen a ghost. They picked him. They brought him to my job, and because he was gonna, we were going to take this to trial. And this is just to show you how God has worked in our life and has intervened. Um, so I'm waiting there. I'm ironing his shirt for trial. This is the Sunday before. And I'm ironing my shirt, his shirt. And God said, this is a shirt for church. This is not a trial shirt. And I'm like, you know, well, okay, God, whatever. I go to work the next day. I send the clothes with Christian, my oldest daughter, and court was supposed to be that Tuesday. Christian takes the clothes, whatever. Long to the short, they call me on the phone there in the parking lot of my job. They said, Mom, come outside. And I'm like, like I'm busy. We're getting audited right now. I can't come outside, you know. And they're like, no, Mom, come outside. we got to show you something. So I'm walking down the ramp. I have a water bottle in my hand and my cell phone. And he steps out the back of the car. I just <laughs> They released him from there, dropped all charges. He was found innocent, right? And so I bring this up because I look back on my faith and my prayer life. Because God did it there, I don't think I prayed. I don't think I... I trusted him because he did it that time. I said, okay, God, I know you're going to do it this time. And so um, so they released him. You know, I got pictures. I have a video of that moment. And so I rode with that moment throughout this trial. And so for those two years, mind you, the trial was going. The trial had been going for four years because it was a co-defendant, and the co-defendant had went on a killing spree, literally. Wait, the trial took four years to actually begin? No, the trial was going three years. They brought Christopher in on the fourth year, which took it two more years. This co-defendant had already been sentenced to forever. So then there was another crime, the Imperial Court's crime. And that's when they brought him in. So we already got him. He's never coming home, the co-defendant. So how can we pull someone else into this? And so that's when they put Christopher 
into and brought him in. So you have a jury that's being picked. So Christopher literally had to sit through the jury had to see all the chains of events, all the murder pictures and stuff of all this guy, the co-defendant. So they're painting a picture. Yeah. 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 They're painting the picture. That's and so literally that last year is when he came in the picture. Boom. Here he is on the scene now. And to go more into depth of how they set that up, all right, Imperial Courts. Imperial Courts, PJs. Yes. P.J. Watts. Uh-huh. I don't know any cops that like P.J. Watts. I don't know a lot of cops that like any anything that come out the projects and Watts. So that's strike one. Strike number two is they play on the mind to think that the average person is stupid until you actually wake up and then everybody else think you crazy when you know what you're talking about. How many times you just sat down and said, you pick my son because everybody knows who he is? He's the easiest face for people to be like, that's him. Like, we, oh, we know who he is. We know we'll who he, he could have. Oh, you know? he from such and such. Then they want to add the, the gang thing on there and throw all that type of, that's, that's, see, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's how you lynch a person nowadays. Basically. Yeah. In that trial, what would you say are like the top two, like just factually incorrect things? Maybe that got him convicted or just the things that you're like, damn, like they got it wrong. The witness, the alleged witness, Ashley Bowman. Well, I don't know if I can say her name. Sorry. Oh, yes, yeah, you can. Public viewing rights at Pina 6054, U.S. government, if y'all want to look that up. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So the witness um, and the description and the fact that he wasn't there, He we had the hotel receipts of where he was the night of the incident. At the time of the crime, you had the receipts that of yes. the hotel room that he was in. Yes. All right. Yes. Um, so this, they were in a hotel in Rancho. This allegedly took place, our time, the timing of it was like 8.30-ish or something like that in October. So it's um, daylight saving time. So they're saying that he could have got from there to there. Uh, that was from where to where? From Rancho to Compton Imperial okay. Courts. That's that's a good uh, hour, <laughs> two hours right, right. there. Yeah. Um, so that was that the the receipt, the description, the false witness, the testament of at least five witnesses that they said and how the scene was set up. They, it was five, four girls in a car. Three in the back, two in the front. The young lady that was murdered, it was a female uh, that was killed. Uh, gang, she was heavily into the gangs and stuff like that, uh, um, stuff brought. And, and how they were all sitting in the, and so how they described the situation. They said it was like a 14-year-old kid, blah, blah, blah. And his the color of him, he had on a hoodie, uh, that was put all the way over his face, black. They couldn't, but they couldn't see the face. However, they gave a description. That's nothing. If if you couldn't see the face, how did you see the face? Hey, that's always the thing with trials. <laughs> you couldn't yeah. see the face. How you see the face? Like. All trials, like they'll, you know, they'll make their initial statements, the witnesses or whatever. But by the time you actually get to trial, these are like trained, fully trained witnesses on the stand. Their stories are really sharp. Like they've just been fed all this information. 
they basically go to district attorney school. Like I had the greatest witnesses in the world. Um, and I, I, I honestly, I, I sat in there going through court. I had such a dump truck lawyer, but it's, sometimes your lawyers are just, I don't know if they have so much caseloads or whatever it is. You'll be sitting there, you'll hear a person, like for instance, person got up there and said, oh, he had on black. Then the person that was standing right next to this person said, oh, he had on blue. And then you look at your lawyer like, dismissed? I mean, how two people standing there at the same time, can I shape shift or something? There was no, he didn't object. And I know today that those are the things you can poke holes in when the objections. Most did. definitely. And so he never objected. He was, if they all were together. It's clear. It's clear. And right. that's the thing that we were talking about before too, um, that I know you talked about when we were at the Compton Courthouse is like families are on un, how unprepared you were um, to prepare for a murder trial. Like that just, it just smacks you and all this, like there's no training, there's no, you cannot YouTube that. Um, my family went through the same thing. There's no training for that. There's no preparation for that. It's none. And I, so by me being the witness that he came to the house the night before, so he took his daughter to the pumpkin patch, him and his girlfriend, and then they brought the daughter back so her mom can come and pick her up. So I was a witness that they came to the house, and then they left and went to the hotel. So that's where the hotel receipts come from. So they didn't let me go sit. I couldn't sit in the courtroom throughout the trial. Wait, why? Because I was a witness. Yeah, okay, yeah, they do that. And... Because I was able to sit in at the preliminary. Oh, okay, okay. I would have preferred to be in right. at the trial. So at, at no point did they say, hey, let's go ahead and swab him for gunpowder residue or none of that type of stuff that they do? Like they will grab dudes, tie their hands up, wrap up their hands and all that until they can get him and run the gunpowder test on him to see if a gun was fired. Christopher was picked up two years later. After, all, I didn't know that part. Yeah. Two years later. Well, I didn't know that part. Yeah. It happened in 2014. He was picked up in 2017, right before he's getting ready to go. And when was he convicted? He was convicted July, July 2019, 18. And, and, and all these people, all these people, and this, and this is where the testimony of a witness needs to be questioned. And he ne he did he didn't even question. He how many y'all been yeah? How he many y'all been in jail before? How many y'all done, done did drugs before? How many y'all done did this? This this it's, it's stuff that they have to go through to do this, and it, it it goes to show that the justice system is really not the justice system. The justice system is look, I can get a a, a it's like it's like deer. I want the deer with the big antlers. I want something that's like it's like a hunting game to them. You know that's that's what it seems like. It's money. It's time for us to get the voting session. When was it? August? Yes. August. November is a time for judges and DAs to go and start rerunning for office and get voted in and all that. So if I can get this big head, you know what I'm saying? I get this big nigga right here and put him under my belt, that's going to get me to the next stage. That's, that seems to be all I'm years, seeing. Two years later, there was no gun. Uh, everything was circumstantial. No gun. No... Um, Oh, and so after we did our homework, me and my daughters, so the sniff is what comes from the bullet wounds. And so she was shot close range. 
they said so anybody that understands gang lifestyle and gang violence and all of this their theory was the co-defendant shot up a parking lot, gave the gun to Christopher uh, five, ten minutes later. Now it's chaotic. You just shot up, and now you give the same gang member the same gun to go back and do some more shooting. Like That's what the district attorney— That was the theory. Yeah, that was—yeah, that was it. Huh. And they made that stick. So they— <laughs> so, Yeah. So, yeah, I'm out the—in the midst of me running away from a— Alleged crime. In the midst of me running, I'm finna stop. All right, let me run because it sounds like some Grand Theft Auto shit. You know, just, just, yeah, this is some type of stuff you see in a video game or something that they trying to describe. So I'm doing a crime. I just did some crazy stuff. As I'm running away, something crossed my mind. Hey, there goes Chris. Hey, Chris, take this hot ass gun and go over there and shoot the shit up out of all this over here. And all right, bro, now I gotta keep on running. Nah, that, that, yeah, yeah, yes, that, that, nah. I wonder how the jury was the district attorney just sell it good because I he didn't even sell it. He said like he's how I'm saying it. it but they kept headlining gang. And anybody knows Yeah. You headline gang, that's automatic. These uh, the corner pocket, how did he describe the corner pocket killer? They're killers, the corner pocket Crips are killers, and they've been known. So they have they paint this picture, and then I all I have to do is put Christopher's name on it because I've already painted a. If a you picture. can, yeah, that's what. The, if you can get a jury pool to believe like this is the biggest, baddest gang member, or even identifying with exactly. that name, like in their mind, he's gonna do anything. Yeah. And um, what court? Oh yeah, that's 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 and that's when when we was talking about in the early 90s that Operation Safe Streets came in with the gang injunction, the gang allegations. And in Compton, they were actually so harsh at one time, they were trying to give dudes five years for every bullet. So if you got a, a gun in there, it's an illegal gun, they just, that was when they were coming up with that. 186.22B1A, Street Terrace. That's what they, they renamed it as, Street Terrace. And then they came in, and it, it's the whole suite. But yet, you're in a city where... <laughs> There's more gangs inside the Compton Sheriff's Department than there probably is on the streets. Absolutely. And, and they brought in uh, this homeless guy. They found the gun, the actual gun. They found that on this this smoker guy. No way. Yeah. Years later? Yeah. He was incarcerated at the time. Can can we? Uh, that so makes, the bullets <laughs> that they had on file weren't even the bullets that killed the young lady. It was just, when I tell you it was That's a huge inconsistency right there. And where his the, constitutional rights were violated, the jurors were sleeping. Uh, there were so many things. Now it was brought up, but I don't know that we can push the envelope for these things. Come to find out that the detective Hicks, that was on the DA side on the case, he was under investigation for wrongful. Like as we spoke in those moments, he was under investigation. Um, Christopher's attorney, he was he was barred I wrote to the bar during this trial I wrote to the bar saying that this guy is not fighting for my son blah blah find out that he's been charged with molestation 
Chris's attorney? Yes. And he's died. He dead. He's dead now. But anyway, he was fighting too. So you have this one being investigated. You have this one being investigated. Both of these people are on both sides, and they're both crooks. They're, it was all bad. This this homeless man, where did they find this? This just... <laughs> He was in jail, you said? Yeah, he was in jail. So the homeless man was in jail, and they found him in jail. They, By the time trial came, he was incarcerated. That would that would be something that I would I would want to sit down and ask this man. Can we do a polygraph test? Can he testify yeah, in trial? Yeah. The homeless? Yeah, the, about the gun. And he said where he got it from. and Nothing related to Chris? No. Mm -mm. No. What what are what are they saying? What what's really like? Is it in the Supreme Court? Is it in the federal court? Is we went all the way for appeals to the federal. We went all the way. Yeah, it's not making sense. And that's the thing. It's like I'm learning backwards because when I was paying money for appeals, I think I was just telling um, the gentleman. I, I I was under the impression that we're paying for these appeals, that something's going to happen. But I didn't understand LWAP. I didn't know that that's what he had. I didn't know that at the end of the day, when you're sentenced to an LWAP sentence, like, really, what are we doing? What are we fighting for? And so I had a Matthew, I think, yeah, Matthew. I paid him as a pilot attorney. I paid another uh, attorney to appeal the case. So I paid so many people to do nothing. So in, a, in an accumulation through the span of appellate lawyers, how much have you spent? Oh, gosh. Over fifty or $60,000. And what this, results have you gotten? Oh, nothing. I got a, two big boxes of paperwork. And for all, all the people out there that's watching, you don't get the money back. You know what I'm saying? You don't, you don't, the people that have posted bond and put houses up, grandmothers that have put their houses up and all that they have, it's a mess up feeling and understanding when you know it's wrong. I just, I just paid for the most fucked up experience in my life and it's continuing, it's continuous every single day. I'm continuous paying for it because I still have to sit here and watch myself suffering in the mirror and know that he's suffering in there and it's not we're not counting the two attorneys that we had during the trial we had we paid christopher actually paid he had money he had jewelry we sold all his stuff and everything in the beginning to pay for the attorneys in the beginning after we exceeded all the money they was not fighting for us so we end up with a court appointed and that's the one that was um already fighting for his license it had been suspended twice already after going through all that you you go back to square one and that square one right. is all you got is god and that's it and so here we are now fast forward um to have no money and to have this organization with these guys uh -huh. like my girl says see how god works she always says that yeah How has it been for him, like, um, since going to prison? Like, how's he dealt with it? How have you dealt with it? I raised him to trust God, but to see his relationship with God now, 
Christopher could have did one or two things when he got there to prison. He could have dove into all the nonsense and um, been out there and just wilding out, not dealing with his reality. For sure. Christopher went from a level four yard to a level two. Technically, he's on a level two now. They could have moved him, but he wanted to stay. In a matter of four years, his points is, you know, where they are. He's never had a write-up, never got in trouble. And I know my son. I know my son knows how to handle himself. Like, he's not, like, a scary guy at all, you know. But his statue, his relationship with God, his desire and knowing that he's going to come home one day has been driving him, you know, um, he he carries me because some days I just like I don't know you know I don't know I'm watching these little girls like his daughters it just breaks my heart because you know when my dad come home we're gonna have this house and when my dad come home it's gonna be like this and um I just pray that that he makes it out before I transition. I want to see my son come home. And I just encourage mothers, like, you may not have a relationship with God or you waver in your relationship with God. I understand. However, we have to keep the faith because it's bigger than Christopher Stone. It's bigger than us. This thing is just like, it's so sad, but yet it's reality. And and I'm, I'm up for the challenge. You know, I'm not an old woman or anything like that. I thank God for my health and my strength and my courage to fight. But I just feel bad that I, I was uneducated and I didn't know the system and I didn't know that, that his friends could even um, hate on him. And people ask, like, well, why Chris? You never know the intent or the depth of jealousy. It's so horrific. It's so real. And the jealousy behind this is is why why we're here today. Because they nobody that could stand up did stand up. And the people that um, were on the front line that knew it wasn't him, they didn't speak, and they're still not speaking. So Ashley Bowman, we ran across several people that know her. So her desire was to tell the truth, that she didn't see Christopher. So when it was time for us to talk to her, she changed her mind. She had a family member in prison with Christopher that got on the phone with Christopher and told her, like, yeah, no, I'm going to do the right thing. I promise I just had a kid, and I have a son, and I wouldn't want anybody to do that. And just when we got to the line to cross over, she backed down and didn't want to tell. She was going to write a declaration? And Chip even scheduled and that's that's I know a couple dudes like uh Joker. Yeah. Same thing. 
Same as sitting there forever. Just because who he is from his neighborhood, they attach this. The man got the man got three strikes for a residential burglary. Oh wow. You know what I'm saying? Then we got it's, it's you you see him, you see those dudes, and you like, how? My homeboy that I, I paroled from up and I seen his mama over there in Inglewood one day. And he has life. He on a level three dude, got his own clothing line in jail. And I just sit and I just studied him to this day. He called me, bro, I'm still doing what you taught me up in there. A dude that got life. The one that people pegged to be the monsters and all this type of stuff. And I, I, was, I seen his mom. I said, hey, mama, I'm all in traffic. Oh, she said, hey, baby, you know, how my, how my, how my son doing? I said, he's doing good. You was in there with him. And this goes to show the, the bonds that dudes build. You know, they may say, oh, them the homies, but these are the dudes that oh, I yeah. get to take a piece of me. I was in there with your son. Mm-hmm. I seen him, I felt him. This is how he is. And we talked, and although we was in traffic, and my girl was in the car, mm-hmm. she kept up the, the face. She kept up that, that black woman. Mm-hmm. I can't show this. I cannot show this right now. Right. But she called me a couple hours later, and I said, what's going on, mom? What's, what's, what's the deal? And she was bawling. She said, tell me you're good. Really tell me how he feel. Tell me what's going on. And I told her, you'll never find another man like him. You'll never see another man like that, that, that dude you raised right there. I ain't never seen him get upset. I ain't never seen him cry. He take care of his kids. They know they got a daddy, not a father. That's, that's, that's daddy right there. He healthy. He doing that type. That's, and it's, it's, I don't know how you embody it. Like this one in the beginning, I said, I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how you keep this together. It got to be a higher power that's keeping this together to keep that sanity when you know. And then as time fades on, you see all the people that's supposed to be faithful, that's supposed to be committed. They start to fade off to the back. And then it's just you. It's hard was, to do that time guilty. I can imagine like oh, right. entirely innocent. <laughs> And you know what I was going to say, too? It's like equally important. Obviously, the facts of the case, all the um, the errors in the trial, um, the lies, all the stuff that we've seen is the rehabilitation part of it, like who he is today. Like this is somebody you can release right now. And I could put my heart on it. This guy's not coming back to jail. This is a good man right here. We're talking about a good man. Right. You know, we're not talking about a questionable person. So like equally important because I remember they used to always tell me when I, like I, I made my pivot in life to want to change and do something different, like go to those groups, know yourself and like just be prepared for when your moment comes. That's my message to Chris, like just be prepared when your moment comes, because whether it be court, a parole commission, something like he's going to get to stand in that box and, and, and tell who he was, who he is and who he wants to be. And when when they did the sentencing and the court, of course, went up, it was just a lot of emotions and all that going on. And he turned around and he spoke and he said, if we believe in God, then why are we crying? He said that in court? Mm Mm-hmm. Dang, that's like that Tupac one. Remember, Tupac made a really emotional yeah. plea in court. Yeah, instead, you know, there's that's courage, man. Putting his hands behind his back. We got pictures. We wasn't supposed to take pictures in there, but we got some pictures. My um, gra- yeah, my grandpa got caught too. He was like, <laughs> it was before cell phones too. He was like, Shh. <laughs> with the code. I talked to uh, talked to Chop the other day. Yep. 
it's one of the dudes that we're on the, the level four with. We were up there in Corcoran, and he's been down for a while. And, he, and you know, I go into my phases. I, I, I got my phases. I'm, I'm institutionalized. You know, there's as much smiling and playing and all that people see. I am institutionalized. How long were you incarcerated? I did 18 years. I went in. As soon as I turned 14, I didn't get out to about 30-something. Compton oh, Court. Wow. First time, no other cases. Tried as an adult. So I under I understand. But the only difference between me and Chris is I was guilty. And the difference between me and him, why he's such a greater person than me, is that when I went to prison, I didn't make the right decisions. I didn't want to make the right decisions. You know, I, I just kept bumping my head. You were 14. Yes, ma'am. You know, I embodied the prison, the lifer mentality. I got dudes that ask me now. They're like, man, you had life. I'm like, no, nah, I didn't have life. Damn, you sure act like you had life. You had a date? Yeah, I had, I had a determinant sentence. But at such a young age, that goes to show the maturity of the mind. When you look at the mathematics and the numbers, you got 17 years, two strikes, 14 years old. I got more time than I've been on earth. So it's, it's when I hear the stories and I talk to these dudes, they, they motivate me. Sometimes that's my only motivation. The outside world, I really don't have, like, yeah, like all my friends are in there. We set out. It does. Time. Yeah. Like what we're thinking about Chris or doing this with Chris, like it's something we can relate to. Like I know. He knows because we ended our time doing the, uh, the right thing and a changed mindset and ready for society, but you're still like in prison getting those indignities put on you and, you know. And I'm traumatized because I watch, I can't watch jail movies anymore, but I just, I think about that's my son in that little cell. Like I just start crying and I get all worked up because the my heartstrings is attached to Sure. To that, and I'm like, how is, you know, you have my son in a little hole, locked down, like all this ridiculous stuff. Like I can't even wrap my mind around it. And I see something on TV, and I'm like, oh my God, that's what Christopher is going through, you know. And I get all worked up again. It's just traumatic. It's like nonstop too. It's like every like, day. Yeah. It's, it's, it's traumatic. The reason why we had this 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 platform is that. Somebody got to speak for him. If you ever read the book Anne Frank, you know about Anne Frank. Anne Frank was she was Jewish going through Anne Frank. She was going through the Holocaust and I, and how it was they were hiding out from the Nazis in a closet. But they were no in between the walls. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So when I tell people, I said, man, dudes in prison, it's like Anne Frank. It's people in the walls. But everybody's just walking past. They they don't hear the voices. They just walk past them. People stuck in the wall eating rations because that's what they get. They get rations every day. And when I talk to these dudes, as bad as people may think, them the only people that we can communicate. Really, they're the only people that can. I can say, I feel Chris's pain. Mm -hmm. Just like can't no other woman walking around right now can say they can feel your pain as a mother. Nobody can relate to that. Can't nobody, can't no person, can't no person except for a victim of a crime can come to you and say, oh, you can't feel this because you've been victimized and they committed a crime against you. And we know that PM yard release is going to happen in nine minutes. Nine minutes. Yeah. We know that right now. Yeah. Like, right, we, it's, we're, it's, it's programmed. It's something that is, it's been done to us. How long you been home? I've been home, what, two and a half? I met him in prison. Really? He became my friend in prison. 
Was he the one on the video? Yeah, that was me that was calling. When we were at the Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That I had him on FaceTime. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were in in jail, in prison. No, I was at <laughs> No, because I'm <laughs> not. Oh, he has his friends and from the... I was telling Christopher that. I said, oh, and then the other guy had his friends from jail and they were seeing us. Yeah, said, yeah. And it's wow. just it's, it's you know being from that. That's why I say I'm from that. I'm from that city. I'm with the Dominguez. Did I you ever? Did you know you were coming home? No, actually, towards the end of my time, um, I ended up catching another case where I was looking at fifty to life after doing seventeen years. And they came to find out that I didn't do it. I still copped out, and I regret it. See, you went to trial, right? Chris yeah. went to trial, right? Yes. I don't have the guts to go to trial. Because you've been programmed. No, I don't, I don't have the guts to go to trial because I know the system is against me. Absolutely. I know I don't have the money or the means to pay for a lawyer. I know that when I go into the courthouse and I look back, ain't going to be no family back there. And that was one of the reasons why I was sent to prison. They said, if you'd have had family support, we wouldn't have did this. So you really got to one up. That's, you know, that's really one of the reasons why they send kids to adult court or why they send dudes to prison. They look out and they say, who's going to watch this dude when he's on parole if he don't have family, a means of support, or anything like that? If he doesn't have anybody, he's expendable. Send him up the river because ain't nobody making no noise. And we were there deep filling the courtroom every court it's, day. It's, it's up against him. Yeah. He finna, make, he finna do something real good in this world. I guarantee you, for them to be doing all that, all that? For them to be stacking it up against him, all that? And we don't even got to... I get to go into the spiritual thing. It's just deeper than just this right here. He got some stuff that he's going to be doing. He's going to change some people's lives, and they don't want that to happen. It's a whole lot of conflict going on out here in these streets. It's deeper than... It's, it's way deeper than the gang thing. Absolutely. Because when I went to prison, the first people I met was the Compton car. And the first thing they told me, this ain't no blue or red thing. We all won. So it's, it's, he, he, he got some stuff that's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? And that's part of our thing, too, is like we always say like unusual alliances because like in prison, technically me and him, we're not supposed to be friends. Technically, you're not supposed to be advocating for someone on the other side of Compton. Like it's a beautiful thing. Like this is driven by love and like belief in somebody. You know, if this feels good, like I felt it when I was at the Compton courthouse with you guys, like this is something special. It's going to end beautiful. Like we're all going to be somewhere crying. Absolutely. You know, the day, bro, I, and <laughs> that type of stuff, I, I try to take it and I try to hide it. Like when we got the word about facts, My I hid it. Too. Life without. When our friends had life without, they dropped it to 25 to life. Which I'm talking about allows them a shot at the board. I hid it. That type it of happens. stuff. Like, you know, some people, they post everything and put it out there. Y'all not finna kill this with that fucked up energy. Yes. Y'all not finna kill this. You know, I'm getting into it with people on the streets. They don't even know why I'm shutting stuff down. I'm shutting, I don't want to shut down Instagram. I don't want to got back and heavy into the workout. I'm up in there shutting it down. It's, it's because the, the dudes that got life is calling home saying, look, something finna happen. Dudes with life is calling here. They, hey, bro, what's up? I heard you talking about this on Instagram. I was just scrolling and the word that you said stuck out. I had to go back and look and say, oh, that's the bro. It's a changing of the tide. No matter what they try to do, you can't break down something that's finna be happening no matter what. I don't, I don't care what the hell they talking about. 
They can stack up the money. They can get all any type of district attorney, all that type of stuff. It's gonna happen. We just had a was a, a Senate was assembly man. What what is y'all was telling about Frankie Carrillo that we were talking to wrongfully convicted. I'm still mad about his situation. He happy as hell, and I ain't even have his case. It's right. tough. I just seen his Netflix, uh, The Innocence Files. I just watched it too. The Netflix. It's. See you. It's beautiful. It's a good. It, it's, it's a good story. Yeah. Great. You delivering so much. Like there's so many dudes that's gonna see this. You know, dudes inside, people outside. There's so many women that need to see this. There's so many women of color that need to see an example. Cause it ain't no examples. They don't have that example of of persevering. You know. And it used to anger me when I hear women and they, oh yeah, my son is gone, and I'm thinking, wow, you just laying down on them. But I also understand, you know, there's health, there's finances, there's resources, there's all these type of things. But um, I just cannot lay down if it was no resource, if it was no money. Like, I'm going to stay before God with the matter. And I taught Christopher, pray without ceasing, continue to trust God's son, continue to pray. And so to hear him pray, like, pray... You know, it's like, Mom, you taught me this. You know, so to see the fruits of my labor come back to me and give it to me and pray for me is, is like more than I can ever ask. So this movement, the the um, podcast, like this is a divine order from God. You guys being here, the support, like... I don't even understand like how it's working and that's what God was sharing with me at this morning in prayer and I was praying for um Ray and the people that are part of this organization and I said God whatever you want to come out whatever message you have for the people again it's not just about Christopher um but you are using his name to move throughout this time right now and I was praying and I said you know just speak through me because my heart is heavy. Um, I relive it every time I talk about it. And so it's hard for me to articulate what I really want to say because my heart is so attached to this. That's my only son. My only son. I call him my number one. And, and you know, I've been rolling with him and rocking with him. And I'm going to continue till he makes it home. And you spoke beautifully you know by the way and that's what we wanted to kind of show today too is that you know like it is chris there's a man that is unlawfully incarcerated right now but not only is it him like you have a mother you know you have a sister you have a whole family you know all those cousins like i seen some kids that i played football with that day that were under seven years old who only know him maybe through a phone call a memory like the same way i did my nephews Yes. We're going to keep pushing. I know we're going to do everything we can here. Like, we're all in. Like I said in the beginning, we know when this is the life we've lived, you know? So we know when something's real. We wouldn't be jumping all in like this if we didn't believe wholeheartedly in it. And you guys, like... Just to see and to touch and to talk with you guys, knowing that you've been there and now you're sitting right here, it's just like... It's amazing. It's amazing. I've been working in uh, social work for about 
12 years now, and I work with parolees and probation and people that had life, but it's a whole different thing. They were mentally challenged and so forth and so on, had the strikes out. The longest person I it was on my caseload, did 35 years, and I would, you know, put down my little paperwork, and I would say, that let's have real talk. Like, what did that feel like? Did you ever know that you were going to come home? And I would listen to the stories, and they would tell me some of them didn't know how to put on a seatbelt. And here I am on the front line advocating for these guys, getting them an ID, you know, doing all this before my son had this. I've been on the front line, and so I'm like, God, you know, I've paid it forward. I sold seeds. Yeah, I was on the clock, but I put my heart in those guys getting back on the streets and getting acclimated into society and all of this. And and so here it is, my turn. I'm still on the front line. I still fight for women that have been incarcerated, reunification with their children. I'm at the children's court. I'm doing all that, but yet behind the scenes, you know, I'm fighting for my life, for my son. And so I told Christopher, I feel like, you know, when I'm fighting for these people, I'm fighting for you, son, because God's going to bring that thing full circle. And that's what I do every day, nine to five, fight for people. And the troops is gathering. The troops is gathering. Can't nobody know the system like like us. Right. (laughs) Can't nobody know the system like the things that he's experienced as a, he knows the intricate details about, all right, I know how to get Brody prepared for this. As I sat down, I was like, man, I need to write a book about a cheat sheet. Because Brian, he, he's the, he could be the cheat sheet because he knows, all right, how do I know how to get around things within the law of stuff? How do I know about the gang things and all that? How do I get around this in the case? We didn't learn this from lawyers. We learned this from dudes that say, look, I see my bro. He don't got no money. I don't got no money, but I got this knowledge and I got this understanding. And we come together and we we got something. What was it he told me? <laughs> I used to uh, I used to tell him before he came home. It was before that first. I was like, man, when you getting out? I used to talk to him on the tablet. <laughs> yeah, know? on the tablet, yeah, man. Yeah. I used to send him stuff and he's like, man, what do I do when I get out? And bro, hit the streets running. Pieces of time for preparation. Your son is right now at peace. He's being molded for that moment. Is, 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 I, I believe that. I really do. Prison is chaotic. When we was talking to facts, we was, I, was, I was like, man, whatever little time I get to speak with him. And I was like, man, let me tell me about what's going, what happened in your case. As soon as he said, tit, 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 you guys right. I said, yeah, that shit ain't adding up. That shit. I said, yeah. I said, bro, you coming up out that champ? I said, you coming out of that? That shit does not sound, nah, because you've been around it. You sat around with these dudes, and it was never a, a stingy thing because your true brother, he really want to see you free, spiritually, mentally, and physically. They want to see you free. They want that first breath of fresh air. And it dropped and from LWAP. And spiritually, he has never been locked down. That's the blessing. Mentally, never been locked down. Spiritually, I'm telling you, his mindset has been sharp, like, Yes, and that's what I would pray for. God, keep his mind, because I know that's where the enemy wants to take his mind. And I would pray for his mind, keep his mind. If we can keep the mind, then we'll get to the spirit, and the spirit and the mind, they line up, and the body's going to be set free. But that's what I would pray for, his, his mindset, his mindset. And it's not the four walls, it's what's inside of the four walls that defines the room. 
And he needs oh, to. That's Steve. That used to hold me down in prison. That quote right there. Say that again. It's not the four walls, but what's within the four walls that defines the room. Meaning it could be his college. It could be his church. It could be his prayer room. It could be his Planet Fitness, you know. Probably all those things. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, <laughs> like I said, we know that's what it is. Like, and then he, he yeah. got to take some time to give himself some credit, too. Yeah. I'm just now learning that. Just give, give yourself a pat on the back, bro. You as a mom, give yourself a pat on the back. Thank you. Like, you you running in the lines of, of people like Asada Shakur. The world don't even know about that. Lil Spill, what's Asada Shakur? Who is that? All right. <laughs> so, you know. So small, small, small little token of, of who I'm comparing her to and, and the likeness of Sada Shakur. Sada Shakur was investigated by the FBI. She was locked up. And while she was locked up, she was impregnated and she was pregnant for, you know, the shooting of the shooting of a cop on a New Jersey turnpike and all that type of stuff that was going on. But to make a long story short, she had a child in jail. She was almost beaten to death in jail while with child gave birth and fled the country and went to Cuba. And to this day, she's been free. Yeah, living in Cuba. Living in Cuba. The U.S. can't go get her back. And when they try to do it... They try to negotiate her. Yeah, like a couple when, times yeah when Trump came in, oh, we're going we're gonna to go and get her. And everybody, people that you would never know, when I said rallying the troops, people that you never know, only thing they read about was in the book. Only thing they read about, only thing they seen was that podcast. And that, that's all they needed to say, nah, hey, we ain't going to let that happen again. You'll sound like Reuben Hurricane Carter. He's a great. You can only compare greatness to greatness. It's, I can't say, oh, yeah, you know, Chris Stone, man, he shot that last three at the Lakers game. Man, we way bigger than that. This, this is a way bigger substance. This is a way bigger thing that's going on. It's like it's, the motion's already going. It can't be stopped. This is so deep. This is so powerful. Um, I watch a little snippets on Instagram and everybody, the interviews and stuff like that. And I was telling the head of my organization about the podcast and to put it on their platform because, you know, they have millionaires there watch their platform and it's a time for changes uh, make sure I, I remind for. them again to put that on their platform <laughs> absolutely absolutely bug the hell out of that's why i was asking should i tell them to watch it is this gonna be live and he was telling me no they're gonna edit it and then have them post it on on the platform and as far as um the free chris stone on instagram what is the um Justice for Stone. Justice for Stone. Okay, so we can definitely support there. What are they doing now? Like, what, what's what's yeah. going on? Is it are we at a stalemate? What's what's going on? What's the next? Yeah, what's the next step? You want to touch on Spolin real quick? The who? Spolin. I don't know. Was that the dirty one? Yeah. Yeah. We. She told us about him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. yeah. No, you're talking about Matthew. Man, how many, di- how many dirty lawyers he had? <laughs> it was Matthew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Matthew Mohammed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he was the last one. That's. I think they're looking for him or something now. But I paid him lots of money um, to do the appeal. And uh, something else he was supposed to do, and he didn't do it. But come to find out with Ray and these guys... 
they knew some people that knew some people that he was under investigation too. Ray know all the people that know all the people. <laughs> Ray, Ray serious. like serious. <laughs> the yeah. family needs to but, talk to yeah, you. All the attorneys. Uh, <laughs> it's been so many. So what we have here is it's, it's not a it's not a, a. I wouldn't even say a wrongful conviction. It's beyond that. Beyond. It is a gross miscarriage of justice. Oh, wow. That's so deep. Yes, absolutely. I that's, agree with you. That's what it is. That's It is a, you are trying your damn hardest to make a statistic. And the, the private investigator over the case, Gary, he told me, he's, this is right after they read the verdict and everything. He said, your son has been railroaded. He's like, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. Like, how did, and he's an ex-LA police officer and the gang the gang enforcement task force or whatever some bootleg thing they put together that was they didn't even take the stand it was hilarious now tell, how did how did they throw the gang stuff in there so i went back and read up what makes you gang affiliated one right. or more persons uh seen in one place or another more than one or two times he doesn't have any gang tattoos or any of that so Mm-mm, no, 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 no. It, it, it when gets you deeper. said he was on at a pumpkin patch, you know, with his with, right, his, uh, with the kids, like, yeah. chilling. Gang, so, hardcore gang wears are not at pumpkin patches with their children, you know. So they have three things that they have to tie to you. <laughs> three things. One, you have to be a known and active affiliate. That's that goes into the second thing. So that's still one and a half. The other thing that makes it for sure is you have to be there with one or two. No, it has to be one or three or more gang members. From the same gang. You have to go in with your gang colors on. That's two. And then you have to say, this is for such and such, and commit the crime. Oh. Those are the rules. Those are the actual rules of sentencing when it comes to the gang, which I had to find out because I didn't know. And I was sitting there, and I was like, oh, damn. Well, they have 10... 10 listed um, according on the website that what affiliates or what makes you affiliated in the gang and how would a police officer know this, what determines this. And so it was these 10 little bullet points that they came away. It's so ridiculous. So if I'm at my grandma's house and the same police officer rides by and sees me in front of my grandma's house, I technically can be documented. Correct. As a gang member, doesn't mean that I'm active or affiliated. Exactly. But I have been documented. I don't even know that I'm documented. I'm just at my granny's house and I have on a blue shirt. But I have now been known and documented as one. So people that need to get educated out there, Penal Code One Eighty Six Point Two Two B. That's that's the known and active street gang thing that goes on there. Just so they educated, Ray's gonna put it at the bottom of the screen for y'all. She just drops some gems on y'all, and that's when when they say, oh. The, the there's a difference. See, we learned this in the streets. There's a difference between a gang banger yes. and a gang member. member. Absolutely. And then inside those quotes in that law, it's going to say, you can be from an organization as long as you do not commit the crime for the benefit and sole purpose of that organization. Biker gangs. Uh, what is that? Uh, what are those lodges? <laughs> Elk lodges. Elk lodge. uh -huh. Three or more people. Yeah, I mean it's an organization. <laughs> now, as soon as they commit a crime for it, then oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah exactly. So exactly. it's it's yeah. yeah this this gonna end good. Yeah. What is it that you want? Um, anybody listening to this? Anybody watching this? <clears throat> what is it that they can do? How they can help? 
whether it be a prayer, whether it be like, I don't know if there's donations, um, just making noise, which is our goal. We're, we're going to try to make as much noise and draw as much attention to this case as possible. And I, I, I got a question for it too. Where's Black Lives Matter when all this is going on? No comment. See? Um, it's, it's a great spot when it comes to prisoners. Mm-hmm. I always say that's the only um, segment of society that you could still legally discriminate against and nobody will get mad at you. Mm-hmm. You're black. Yeah. You're in jail. I know, uh, because every crime that has been committed amongst my family and my people has been by black lives. So, it, Black lives, yeah, they do matter, and I agree, Concord. However, there's a whole lot of shenanigans with that movement. Uh, believe it started with a good intention. However, it's it's moving. It move how it move, and I feel it's for money and other things. And so that's my personal opinion. Um, but yeah, black lives they do matter. All lives matter. But to answer your question, um, what would I say? Uh, how can they help? Yes, prayer, of course, but to continue to put it on your platform. If you have a, a major platform, if you have followers, if you are a part of a church organization, um, there's a lot of mega churches that need to headline a lot more of this type of stuff, um, these type of movements. If you don't want to be on the front line, then support it financially, support it with your prayers, or just putting in and reposting, reposting. Posting, reposting. I'm not good with Instagram. Oh gosh, I'm not good with Instagram. It's a lot, huh? Oh Woo. man, and I wanted like I'm like okay, so I'm like in the comments, I'm just all off key. Oh, how do I do this? They say how if it's I, not on Instagram, it never happened. Right? I'm <laughs> so, so behind If it's not on Instagram, times. it never happened. What but about um, petitions? For those that are social media, like, yeah. savvy, um, repost. You know, you never know who's looking. You never know who's reading these posts and continue to, to cry out. They call it at my organization that I work for, um, calling out the name. They continue to call out certain ones' names that are incarcerated because we write prisoners. Uh, we respond to letters. I should say, and we come to the jail where you're being released, pick you up, get you in the housing. That's some of the things we do with our organization. Um, so I would I would encourage if you have a platform, please, please continue to repost, continue to call out your son's name, your daughter's name uh, that you feel like you, you know, you don't know how to fight. Just call out their name and get in, get in the loop with organizations such as this and um, support it support make it worldwide is there a petition any type of petitions that people can sign we go fund me petitions we've done so much we did the um the news media we did podcasts we did radios uh t-shirts well, we're gonna keep on doing it <laughs> we've done it we've done it and and we're not afraid to keep doing it you know so here we are well i know you got a long drive home um Thank you. It's such a blessing having you here, allowing me and us to be a part of this. Um, we're with you. Uh, you know, we believe in Chris and that he's going to have his freedom one day. Uh, I'm truly sorry for what's happening to you. Um, I, I can't imagine, you know, I, I live my life in apology to my mom who I dragged through that, you know, as a guilty person. So I can imagine 
but you know i am a man of faith too so i i believe there's there's gotta be you know so yeah thank you so much for coming thank you thank you all for having me appreciate it and then my myself uh <laughs> you're the type of individual and women like you that give a person like me the reason to tell people don't make no excuses of why you can't be there for anybody I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear none of it. Because you tend to make excuses or we rationalize about, oh, you know, I can't do this or I can't do that. But then at the end of the day, when you sit down and you hear, it's a woman that's fighting for her son who's been sitting in there and he got life. She don't make no excuses. Absolutely. She take care of herself. She take care of the kids. She get up. She go to work. She help people. At the end of the day, she's selfless while the world is being selfish with something that don't belong to them. That's hers. She gave birth to that little human, and now he grown. Wow. So it, 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 it further burns the fuel in me to be like, I don't, don't want to hear no excuses. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm on a mission, and we're going to stay on the mission and keep spreading the word. Man, You got if you got rappers out here, listen here, rappers. Y'all homeboys sitting up in there. If y'all from a certain hood, and and, and, and it's, it's a person up over there from wherever they from, and you know you got somebody sitting up in jail for nothing? For nothing? You're not finna go to jail for telling your peoples to get up in there and tell the truth and say, look, homie didn't do it. Yes. You ain't got to go tell nobody, but you say, they didn't do it. I know they didn't do it. Why Why his people got to suffer behind some, some bullshit? Yes. What, you a hater? You you a hater? That much, You got that much hate inside your heart? Wow. Yes. Mm. That got something to do with you. That's your personal problem. That ain't got nothing to do with the man sitting in jail behind something that ain't got nothing to do with him. How do you even live with that? Like, yeah, that's that's scum. That's 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 that's, that's scumbag. That's like and the cold part of that's the cold part about it. Chris seemed like the type of dude that'll forgive him. Yeah, but I won't. I'm gonna be that person to do it. He would. He the type to forgive. I, I I'm I'm just like I said with the other person that came on here and they said they forgive. I can't do that. I'm gonna be the bad guy on them type of situations. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he would. He but would. I, I really do appreciate it. You you a godsend. Thank you for coming here and taking the time out your day. Really Thank do appreciate you. it. Absolutely. Thank yes, you. Man. Close it out. Close it out. BJ, you yeah. want me to close it out? I mean, that's it. This is the Strange Fruit Podcast. <laughs> this is the Strange Fruit Podcast. Um, shout out to all the fellas on the inside, man. Don't lose hope. Don't give up hope. Stay prayed up. Whatever your higher power is, no matter what you believe in, as long as you got something to keep you steady. Man, my boy Fax. Yes, sir. Chris. Yes, sir. You know what time it is. Spread the word, you heard. Thank you again. Strange Fruit Podcast. See y'all next time. Thank you.